Welcome to 353rd, a podcast covering the impact of the internet on business. This is episode 35, and today is April the 25th, 2012. I am Scott Barstow. And I'm Anders Brownworth. Anders, how are you? Really good. What a uh, thrill ride last night or yesterday as Apple uh, did their uh, quarterly report. It was just a you know nail-biting thrill ride for those of you who have been following along. It's, um, the, the numbers <laughs> just continue to be staggering. Yeah, we're up 10% company. today. I mean, that if you had put in 10K yesterday, you'd be, you'd be, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. That's crazy. Anyway, all right. Yeah, they are the, I remember reading something where, uh, was it 35 million iPhones? Uh, it just staggering numbers. And the thing that, here's the thing before we move on, the thing that continues to amaze me is that everywhere I go, all I see are iPhones. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, I was. It's almost ubiquitous at this point. Um, it is. Just, you just never see if if there's somebody that's 25 or older, you almost never see anything else anymore. It's true. Somebody uh, actually in the younger crowd as well. China figured heavily in this last earnings call last night, and just anecdotally, walking around China uh, last week. You, there are so many people with iPhones. It's unbelievable because you, the iPhone hasn't really been available in China that long. They just introduced the 4S like a couple of months ago. And you could see it. You could see the people that had iPhone, that had phones, had iPhones. It was unbelievable. There's penetration, yeah. visible penetration in China, yeah. which is shocking. But anyway, one other point. The independent analysts have always seemed to get Apple and be able to be way ahead of the pro analysts and be able to pick the numbers fairly accurately. Mm -hmm. I see that in as of this moment, really kind of starting to change. The pro analysts are closing the gap to the independent analysts and are finally starting to get certainly in the ballpark. And the other thing I'm seeing is the uh, independent analysts are going to what I call crazy town and starting doing, you know, throwing out some crazy numbers. So right. I think it's, uh, you know, we're just starting. I still argue Apple is, is undervalued. But at the end of the day, what you're trying to do if you're playing the market is not say what the value of Apple is. You're trying to, you're trying to anticipate what, the, what people think the value of Apple will be. And right. that's all. And yep. if you don't do that in a reasonable time, then you shouldn't play. Right. So, uh, so I think the window is is certainly closing. That's yeah, I think it's it's like, uh, you know, it's it's the classic thing of now that everybody's getting on board at some point. Yeah, the, you got to get off the train. Yeah, you got to get off the train because the it's it will it it's just not sustainable once everybody starts paying attention to it. You're you've lost the ability to make huge gains. True, but here's the other thing with this. What other company do you sidestep to? Like, what company do you do you see that opening right now that that is better than the opening that you see with Apple? I don't I, know. I, I don't see anything right now, but I don't either. But that something will happen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway. Anyway. So yeah. The uh, the topic for this week's show is I've been reading this really interesting book um, by a guy named Tim Wu. Uh, it's called The yeah. Master Switch, The Rise and Fall of Information Empires. And the thesis is this, that the internet is, the, is another in the long line of information 
uh, systems that have come in, that have come along in the last hundred years, or I guess 110 now, maybe 120, mm-hmm. if you start with the telegraph and then the telephone. Uh, the telephone being really the first one um, that he explores in depth in the book. But the the thesis is that information empires start out as kind of the Wild West, very frontierish, uh, lots of innovation, very open. And then eventually, as as corporations step into the space, the market gradually closes and it's eventually dominated by a few players. Yeah. Um, and he uh, he... Uh, in the book, Tim Wu studies, uh, he starts with the telephone, then goes to radio, and then to movies as uh, examples of this trend. So, so and, let, we'll talk about it. So, tell me about radio. <laughs> so, the, the telephone, well, let's talk about the or telephone. telephone, sure. So, the telephone, obviously, uh, you know, Bell ha- uh, gets the patent for the telephone. There are others at the time that are uh, right there with him, uh, he tells the story of other inventors that had the same thing, but were just behind Bell's filing for the patent. So anyway, AT and T eventually forms out of all of the all of the hmm. messiness happening in in the space, yeah. and uh, proceeds to, with government backing, proceeds to essentially take over. Um, the space, and what's interesting is, uh, particularly with the telephone, is he tells the story of these uh, small-time carriers out in the West that would run phone wire along fences. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, so you'd have these rural telecom companies, essentially, that were, uh, you know, that they would the they would extend the phone network by running phone wire along their uh, farm fences. That's awesome. So eventually, you know, AT&T comes along and gets government favor, gets, gets laws passed that allow them to step in uh, and shut these other companies down in the interest of – and here's what's interesting. He says the argument is almost always made that these companies, as they gain essentially monopolistic control of the market – that the, the way they present it is that they're, the, it's in the service of public good. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the, you know, we're doing this, but, you know, everybody will be better off because there's fewer, you know, there's fewer of us or whatever, yeah. you know, that kind of pitch. And so he walks through the scenario with AT&T. Of course, AT&T has that monopoly for, what, 80 years? Yeah. Something like uh-huh. that? Sure. Um, and then in the 80s, of course, they get broken up. And uh, and then you know really twenty years later we're almost back to the same kind of thing. There's really not yeah. that many meaningful telecom pay- players again. Yeah. And and so uh, so that's kind of the lay of the land with telephone. And then uh, he goes into radio, which is really interesting. And he tells the story of how radio evolves, and it, and it really was just this wild west kind of place. You had people, he talks about the, really the first meaningful big radio event was a fight. And I forget which fight it was. It was in the 20s. <laughs> sure. But they had these, he talked about how it was in New Jersey and he talked about how the town ran wires everywhere. And it was it was a huge event. Yeah. And it was kind of the first big radio event where people stood up and said, oh, yeah, this could be huge. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a Jack Dempsey fight or something like that. Okay. And so from there, you have this, what eventually evolves out of radio, of course, is uh, you've got N, you know, the national broadcasting system, which uh, eventually becomes NBC. 
And then you get a few other big players. And NBC, again, they get the federal government to back their position with laws that favor them. So it's the same kind of pattern as you see in telephone. Yeah. And eventually, you know, there's very few, you know, for how many years did we have three TV channels? Sure. You know, and and, uh, it was the same thing in radio. You know, TV kind of followed the same thing where uh, where you had these just a few companies controlling, essentially controlling access to the information. Yeah. Uh, And then I think probably the most interesting for me, which is the one I knew the least about, was the film industry. Mm. Yeah. Um, So the film industry in the United States, at least, starts in New York. And uh, I've got these... Uh, it's essentially controlled by a very small, uh, I forget the term he used, but it's a very small closed uh, group. And uh, they won't allow uh, any foreign films into the country. You know, very, <laughs> very heavy handed. Very protectionist, yeah. Yeah. And not only just, I mean, he talks about physically intimidating um, yeah. the- theater owners and that sort of thing. And so you get this, what evolves out of that is that you get this group of independent theater owners that eventually stand up to this group in New York. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also, you have this group in New York, uh, sort of this group of Jewish immigrants that had uh, moved to the U.S. and had made money, let's say, in the garment industry or something else, and are interested in film. And they travel to Europe, and they see these amazing films in France, mm. and they want to bring those films to the U.S., but they can't get them into the country. Yeah. And so... Uh, he tells the story about how Paramount Pictures was founded, um, Fox Studios, uh, all by these uh, Jewish immigrants that essentially could not get market share in New York. So they as they eventually migrate west to Los Angeles. Yeah. And the the reason that it was Los Angeles was because they could because there were laws about what you, what movies you could show and what you couldn't show. They could easily escape to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, if the law came after them and they were showing a movie they shouldn't show from France or something like that, or you know they were using actors that they shouldn't be using or whatever the case may be, they could, these guys could quickly escape to Mexico yeah. um, to uh, to escape the tyranny of this of this New York cartel. Right, and uh, so that's kind of the, that's a very quick. So run. and so the idea, the thesis yeah, is the th- that the internet um, is headed the same direction where you're going mm-hmm. to have. A few companies controlling access to the information. I love Facebook, Twitter, what Apple? Um, yeah, Apple, Apple, yeah. obviously a walled garden. Google, Google, uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. what was what? So the, that's kind of the thesis of the book uh, mm-hmm. in a nutshell. So, yeah, interesting. So I would I would extend that to say that he could have started a lot earlier. Like if you look at the revolutionary technologies, you know, just go backwards a little bit from radio and you got uh, newspapers. And of course, way back before that, you had the printing press. And I would look at those industries, granted they happened a lot slower, but a lot of those industries kind of got scooped up by a relative few number of players. You know, because back in the day, think about it, everybody used to have their little pamphlet. You know, you read about uh, the founding of the United States, and this guy has a pamphlet, and that guy has a pamphlet, and that was basically the blogs of the day. Right. And then th- that all kind of gets rolled up into bigger newspapers, or maybe people just lose interest. And then 
you know, you get these pirate radio stations, you get uh, that whole thing going on, and, and probably, though I don't know, the same with TV, certainly community access channel type private television. But down the road, you know, now you have uh, blogs, and they're all kind of still the little pamphlet yeah, that, sure. you know, <laughs> that used to be in existence. Yeah. I think it's very interesting. I like that. Uh, I like that he's looking at these arcs, and I, I do notice that the arcs keep getting shorter and shorter. I wonder uh, if there's some limit on how short they can be. Yeah, I don't um, know, and I think the the question becomes if this is uh, if the if the internet is just history repeating itself. Yeah. Then is there something? Do you have a responsibility to push back? in meaningful ways right. against the titans that sort of control the internet at the moment. Um, uh, control being a loose word, but certainly the ones that have the most influence. Sway, have the most sway, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so do you have a responsibility? I was thinking about this last week. Yeah. Do you have a responsibility to do things like get out of Facebook yeah. um, and take meaningful steps to side with companies that are influential but don't appear to have the bent towards a uh, the more walled garden approach. I think Google, you can make the case that Google is obviously very big um, and highly influential. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. Uh, but they, I was reading a, an interview with Sergey Brin last week, and he is, he's at least publicly, is coming, is speaking against this trend. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there's a vested interest for Google in him taking that position, but he's the only one of the companies that are that you would consider. I would I would probably put Twitter in that camp. Uh-huh. I think sure. the, you know Jack Dorsey certainly. A, I don't consider him to be a. I wouldn't put him in the same class as Zuckerberg, for instance, in terms of you know just yeah, their well, approach. Their yeah. approach. You yeah. Know, Twitter's okay. a much more open. Yeah, platform. The approach seems to be a lot different, uh, and that sort of thing. So, I guess, what are your thoughts? Do you think that you have this sort of? Uh, do you, if you see this trend coming, which I think it's it's clear that it's certainly trending that way. Yeah. Um, right now, and you have you know, there's power coalescing around all of this information. Information. What's what's the responsibility of you know you and I as we sit here? What do we do? I, there certainly is a responsibility. The question is, does that responsibility pass through the generations and over time to make monopolies never happen? To some sense, you've got to fail and then, you know, refail and refail over, over generations and relearn these lessons. I'm not convinced that, I mean, there, there obviously there are monopolies that make sense. I mean, you know, sewage would be a great example of that. You don't want to have five different sewage companies. You want to have five different water companies, gas companies, electricity, right? So, So some of these things make sense. Where it goes too far is some of these other things that that, uh, certainly with the internet that that get pointed out. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at what's going on uh, with people from our generation versus kids nowadays kids kids nowadays ridiculous Ah, they don't seem to have this problem with uh sharing things online they'll just put whatever up online not really worrying that it will be used later on down the road i mean i'm I'm sure if you asked them they they probably have an idea that it's not really deletable but 
they don't consider the how it could be used down the road. Now, maybe we all read 1984 and we, we were very scared of that happening. But, you know, you look at Facebook and gosh, I mean, <laughs> it's better than the 1984 world in terms of, you know, yeah, the completely. information they have and what they know. Right. Yeah. So to fight against that is, I mean, you, you can't you can't make the argument until you're blue in the face. At some point, you have to have example. You have to have a failure before kids nowadays are going to understand that. And you hate to watch lambs go to the slaughter, but in some sense, you have to, you just have to learn by doing, I think. So the, the hope is that it doesn't get too out of control before it, you know, the, the world falls down around them. So in, in that, I mean, you know, you're talking about early days of radio and, and telephone and people had their own rural long distance carriers by stringing wires on fences. I mean, the same exists for us. So you, you, you got a domain name, you ran your own server, you had a website, you ran yep. DNS, mail, blah, blah, all that. There seem to be a precious few people who still run their own domain. It's sort of a mark of an old school person, I think, nowadays, that you actually have a domain and you actually run your own, even your own WordPress instance. That's considered very old school, I suppose. So I have Anders.com. I run my mail through that. And the reason I do that, and it was hard for me to switch to Gmail, very hard, because of the ability, you know, suddenly somebody one day says, they can read your mail. They can read your mail? Really? Well, of course they can read your mail. They're putting it on the screen for you. What do you think? Yeah. You know, and the the only time this became a big public thing was when Google started looking at the contents of my messages to tailor the ad that's shown. Right. And this is like this revelation, how they can actually read. What did you think? Yeah. You know. Why? why, What? They're in the, they're in business to make money. Yeah. Um, And you are the product. You're not paying them. So you are the product. Correct. So your data, your data your is what you're is what you are contributing. Yeah, they are selling your eyes. They are selling your attention to advertisers. That's their business model. So for them not to look at you, that what it's just a direct contradiction. Yeah. So to get back to what I was saying, I run my mail through Anders.com and only forward to Gmail. Now, if mm-hmm. I re- reply, it's going to be from my Gmail address and and. You know, there's there's not much I'm doing about that. I could do something about that, but I've been lazy. At the end of the day, though, all the email addresses that are out there that I care about are on my own domain. Mm. And so I feel like I could pull it back if I needed to. Right. So I think some kind of a control like that you need to have, be it Facebook or Twitter or whatever. You, ha- you, you can't 100% lean on these things. I, yeah. I look at and some I, of these. I think it's almost so in more practical ways. I think you, ha- you can do things like what I do, which is every so often I use Gmail for my, for my primary mail. But every yeah. uh, once a week, I pull all of it local. Oh, you do? Really? Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Why? Because, well, two reasons. One, because I want to have it. Um, for all the reasons that you just talked about, and then the second is, is that if you know somebody hacks my Gmail account or they decide to you know they do something wrong and all my data vaporizes, that's seven to eight years worth of email. Yeah, and so you know I it's a, it's just a practice that I do, but it's the same kind of thing. It's and I do I do that with almost everything that I care about. Like I'm thinking about. You know, is there anything, any place that anything I've got some something hosted where I couldn't do without it? 
for yeah. some period of time, and I can't think of anything right now. Yeah, you know, the, that's actually you bring up a great point. Um, I've been looking at the trend towards pushing bits into the cloud. Look at Dropbox, cloud, you know, the Apple's cloud thing. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of these services nowadays, and certainly when you're migrating toward the iPad or or some computing platform that essentially doesn't have significant local storage. Uh, maybe for anything other than media, your music or movies or whatever. But everything else, every all the content you create kind of is saved somewhere in the cloud. Maybe even look at Mosey-type services that and uh, Backblaze or whatever that company is that does backups, pushing all your bits into the cloud. I, I, I That's nice and all, and it's a nice way to have a good access to your bits. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I don't think I'll ever walk away from actually housing the bits myself in my own house, <laughs> be yeah. that a hard drive, a, you know, a, a, any, any kind of media printed out on paper or whatever, yeah. you know, you gotta, you gotta have control over, it. you gotta keep it. I could see these things as those bits, you know, we're talking about things never disappearing, but there is going to be some big event down, yeah. down the well, road. Remember we talked about that. Yeah. Is there, you know, is there, if there was a catastrophic a, war or something like yeah, that. It's going to be a bit apocalypse and then yeah. huge swaths of information are going to be gone. So the yeah. only, and you can see it already. If you look at some of the websites that were in existence in the nineties that are only available on the Wayback machine now, and they all have yep. a bunch of broken images on them. Yep. You'll never, ever see those ever. Yeah. And, and, and that, they were, and they were meaningful entities at the time. At the time. Yeah. And they were doing, you know, they were, I'm sure they were doing things to keep their stuff around. Whereas the, I think the average person is thinking, oh, this stuff, at all. nothing could ever happen. Exactly. You know? And, and I, I I'm think storing it, it on Google drive or I'm storing it sure. on, you know, Mosey or whatever it is. And I think if you don't think of those things as auxiliary, you're making a huge yeah. leap of faith. But um, So, well, that's that. What do you think about the average 25 year old that, maybe has a, a little MacBook Air or something, and, and that's about the extent of their local storage. I think they're probably not thinking about They're it. not thinking about that, right. So they're going to... They've gonna, grown up in an era where this stuff never breaks. Sure, right. And, and, and it's going to. So right. the question is, you know, how valuable are your bits to you, really? Yeah. That's what yeah. it comes down so to. It, yeah. So back to the original question, are you? do you think there's meaningful action to be taken in terms of pulling away from and this would be this would be a huge deal for both you and I for if if Apple is the primary example of a company that you know is sort of taking this approach which I think you could argue that they are um, you know they certainly are everything that they do is proprietary it's very much a you know we want to do it all we want to own it all etc are they a company to be concerned about like a Facebook where, you know, I've, I, I really think that you've got to start thinking about what are these kinds of decisions. Yeah, I, there's no question. Apple is, uh, is, certainly has a, uh, an issue with their storing things and, and, and keeping everything within their ecosystem. There certainly is an issue there. But I, I look at it just as, as I look at everything else. It's not all that terribly different from Google. It really isn't on no. the on the outside. No. And when when you when you really look at the whole package, it's all I mean, whether or not they're they they're 
open in name only or, or whatever, it's really not that much different. I can still pull what I need to pull out of my Apple products. Yeah. Uh, and, and use them in other ways. I mean, I have ways around, like if, if uh, you, know, you know, a file is in a certain format, I can generally change it. Yeah. But that might be because I'm more of a power user than most. Yeah, but, but I think you can even do things like, uh, you know, if you buy music, buy it from Amazon where they're using sure. a, a, a open format. Yeah. yeah, it's just little decisions like that where you know, even with everything that I buy Apple, I was thinking about this this morning, I've just got a stu- you know a staggering amount of Apple gear around. Yeah. But if something happened, I could walk away from it if I need to. Sure. Um, I, yeah, I generally don't keep things in Apple proprietary formats. No, I don't myself. either. Yeah. So... Anyway, it really interesting book. I'd highly recommend uh, that everybody take a look at it. And what's it called uh, again? It's called "The Master Switch: The Rise and Fall of Information Empires" by Tim Wu. Uh, that's W-U, and we'll put a link to it up on the uh, up on the site with this with this episode. Sounds good. And that's all the time we have for this episode. Please join us again next week, and. Uh, Uh, Please post uh, on iTunes, post your comments on iTunes. We love to hear from you, and thanks for listening.